Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I'm Aaron Schweitzer, your host, along with co-host Laurel Bronze. This podcast is powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. Our guest today is Tyler Neese. He is the Government Affairs Director of the Central Oregon Association of Realtors, or CORE, as we'll be calling it going forward to avoid the tongue, tongue twister. Uh, he's originally from Pennsylvania, has a master's in communications from Southern New Hampshire University, has spent much of his career in marketing and public relations, and is currently on the board of the Economic Development for Central Oregon EDCO, and been a part of various civic advisor groups on housing and recreation in the community. After this recent election, we're catching up with PACs and associations that have had an impact on the political process in some fashion, and that's certainly the case with CORE. So, Tyler, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. Thanks, Lauren, for having me today. So, Tyler, what attracted you to working in um, real estate and, and coming to this fair city? <laughs> sure. So, uh, yeah, you know, Bend is a place that's always been on my radar, as you mentioned, kind of in the bio at the beginning. Um, enjoy spending time outdoors and uh, I have some family in Oregon and uh, here in Bend as well. And uh, so I was at a point in my career where uh, I was looking at other opportunities and uh, happened to find this you know, this opening with uh, CWR and seemed like a great kind of natural transition prior. I was working in the healthcare space, uh, primarily on federal policy uh, in the Medicare, Medicaid environments. And so so uh, not unlike the real estate industry, you know, subject to a lot of regulation, um, you know, taxes, fees, and other things of that nature. And so, uh, yeah, seemed like a great fit. And in a growing community like Bend, uh, I was excited to be a part of that conversation moving forward. Well, that's a whole nother podcast there on yeah. the legal regulation around Medicare and Medicaid. So we'll have to circle back on that one. <laughs> you have a line of people that want to listen to that one. Right. <laughs> So, I mean, the Ben real estate market is, uh, you know, quite the conversation right now, if, uh, probably under the pandemic and, and under the election, we have, you know, why, how, uh, Laurel wrote a great piece on, on it uh, a couple of weeks ago. And um, what are you seeing in the market? I mean, I know every, every time someone probably hears that you're a real estate, you're associated with real estate, they want to know how long it'll last, whether it's time to get in. So maybe share with our listeners some of that feedback. Yeah, yeah. Um, un unfortunately, I don't have a crystal ball. I wish I did. Um, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be doing pretty well, I think. But right. um, it, yeah, absolutely, it has been um, a very interesting market. And as you know, I'm sure both of you know, um, it's been that way for some time. You know, prior to the pandemic, uh, we saw you know the market was quite hot, and then I think um, once the pandemic kind of you know began in earnest, if you will, sort of in the March April timeframe, um, we saw pretty quickly an impact um, in you know within the multiple listing service of Central Oregon and the number of listings. So pendings, active listings went down. Um, and so what was interesting is, you know, that was sort of the initial impact. And obviously there's, you know, beyond the market, a number of impacts as well, of course, you know, in terms of health and safety and just general kind of practices that our members needed to make sure they were doing in order to keep themselves and their clients safe. But sure. um, we that saw that didn't, that didn't seem to impact the market at all, though, all of the well, counter washing and mask wearing and 
Yeah, well, and that's absolutely that's the interesting thing is that I think that, um, you know, prior prior to the pandemic, we were already, you know, as you guys well know, um, a pretty you know top destination for remote work. And right. I think, you know, now we've been dubbed a Zoom town. So I think um, as more people have the flexibility to work remotely, bring their jobs with them, we've seen, you know, even more demand. You know, there was sort of this period, I think, where um, a lot of people were hesitant to you know sell and even buy um, because of market forces and economic uncertainty. And sure. then um, I think as time went on and people started to, you know, become mobile again, started to relocate here. And we've seen a significant uptick in demand um, on the residential side. Now, I think something that's interesting to note is that even uh, in those periods where we saw, you know, listings come down, we saw pendings come down, um, the, the, the median price really remained flat. And that's a direct result of us having very low inventory, very low supply. Sure. Uh, you know, maybe just, you know, in Deschutes County and in Bend, maybe, you know, a percentage or less adjustment, but it really remained flat and now starting to go up, you know, again, because of that high demand. Is it, is it true that um, a lack of low, lower end inventory will impact the median home price? Or does it does that adjustment skew for that kind of those kind of sales? Because I know we're selling a lot of higher income homes as compared to where we don't have a lot of inventory in lower income homes. What, what do you what can you speak to that? Yeah, yeah, it's it it is inventory really drives a lot of things, you know, and, and it's um, as you mentioned, you know, we have we have supply. I think our supply picture looks different. In, at different price points. And, and as you said before, that might be a whole other podcast. We want to talk about, you know, the, why, why housing is so expensive, but um, a lot of it really does come down to supply. I mean, to kind of give you um, an idea uh, in our industry, six months is generally considered a healthy supply of housing. So at that point, you're going to see, you know, sort of moderate price appreci- appreciation, excuse me. Um, when you get much lower than six months, that's where you'll see more rapid increases in price. Um, currently we're at 3.9 months of supply and bend for all housing types. So that's single family, you know, all residential. Um, If you drill down a little further, we're at 3.2 for single family specifically. Um, Single family homes in what might be, um, you know, considered that middle market category of 300,000 to 400,000, we're at 1.9 months. Um, So, you know, the supply picture is pretty bleak, quite frankly. Um, And that is a significant contributor to cost, Um, that supply and demand. You know, the demand remains and continues to go up, but we don't have the housing to be able to meet it. Well, probably the flip side of being a Zoom town is uh, your commercial real estate side of the picture. So as as people are Zooming like we are today, uh, (laughs) you do see more, uh, you see people abandoning their office spaces and driving. What's happening in the commercial uh, markets? Yeah, yeah, great question. And I think, I think you nailed it, you know, there has been um, an impact, I think, especially again, early on in the pandemic, you know, uh, commercial real estate has, I think, more complexity, just in the sense that you have investors, there's a lot of factors involved, uh, versus residential, where, you know, market forces, the economy, um, especially are impactful. So I think a lot of folks really reticent um, to make those types of investment move forward with projects early on. Uh, I think we're seeing that start to change. Um, but yeah, Absolutely. There's there's office spaces that um, you know are empty. Retail has been impacted certainly as well. Um, so I think those are two sectors um, within commercial, especially that have been impacted 
and where we've seen some change. But uh, I do think that that overall, you know, in comparison, if we look at the numbers in comparison to commercial real estate, you know, nationally, Ben has fared better. Um, and I think, you know, some of that is a result of, again, you know, folks coming here, uh, we're still a desirable community, even, you know, on that commercial side, they still need to shop frequent businesses. If you look around town, I'm sure you've seen uh, construction still happening on the commercial side, even, you know, different office complexes and healthcare and things of that nature. From your perspective, what are the politics of the urban growth boundary expansion and how is it related to housing shortages? Yeah. In 500 words or less. <laughs> Condense it to a tweet. Um, I'll do my best. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. It, it is, um, as you mentioned, Laurel, I think it is a very political process. As you know, um, whenever Bend went through the UGV process for this current remand, you know, the 2016 remand, um, there's, you know, there's a number of parties that are involved, whether it's, you know, landowners, members of the community weighing in from, you know, kind of the neighbor perspective. And, and different groups uh, throughout the community. Uh, so it, it certainly is a tough process. I mean, that was what, a 10-year process to get to where we are now um, and very political. But I think um, really what it comes down to, you know, this, this remand plan included both expansion areas and opportunity areas. You know, so looking at uh, areas where we need to grow in order to provide more housing and provide you know, other types of development, opportunity, you know, redevelopment, things within uh, the city, uh, within the city limits. And really, you know, as a result of the land use system and what the state requires, which is you kind of have to show us you're doing the best with what you can, um, you know, you're densifying, urbanizing infill before you ask for more. Uh, and so I think moving forward, uh, it's really going to be a matter of, you know, how do we continue to meet the demand? I think that those are, those are two things, both opportunity and expansion are absolutely necessary, you know, and I'm speaking from the housing perspective, in order to provide the needing at the needed housing, but I think we will need, you know, another expansion at the rate that we're growing. Um, and, you know, with, with people moving to Bend, we brought in 2,400 acres in this last round. We're already, uh, we've used about 78% of the land uh, in the current UGB, and we're still, you know, a few years away from the end of that plan. Uh, so more land will be needed. I think it's just kind of a question of where and where does it best meet the need for housing and, uh, you know, the other, the other growth needs that come with the city. How quickly do you do you expect that you guys would start wanting to talk to the city about an expansion like that? <laughs> yesterday. Um, <it's> <laughs> it feels like yesterday, you know, with being, I, I can't get over that term zoom town. I'm going to use it all the time. You know, like we're, we're, we're a zoom town now. So you got to expand the UGB. You know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and, I think that um, it really is, unfortunately, it's kind of a conversation that I think needs to happen on the heels of, you know, really the previous UGB. You almost have to kind of start planning right away. It's something that um, not just us, but other groups within you know, the community have been um, really, you know, in conversation with the city about on a pretty regular basis, you know, whether there's another urban reserve area in the works so that kind of that groundwork and infrastructure is is kind of, you know, the groundwork's been laid and waiting in the wings for when it is time to grow um, again. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, it's really an ongoing conversation, especially sure. growth is, is to continue at this rate. You guys invested a lot into the, this political round. It seems like, um, you know, it's something that with each election cycle, we see more. And, and part of that's being a Zoom town, I suppose, where you have more people, you have more dollars. And um, so, and, and you guys invested heavily in Piper and Livingston and the sway of the election. 
um, went away from those candidates, went more progressive. What were you hoping to achieve? What were the goals that you were uh, pushing for through those two candidates? And how do you see working with the new council? Sure, sure. And yeah, it's, you know, advocacy is um, a significant component of organizations, certainly not the only component. Uh, we, we provide education, we provide uh, technology resources to real estate professionals throughout the region um, and, you know, work with a number of nonprofit and other organizations too. But uh, on the advocacy side, you know, I always like to say that um, why we care, why we have a government affairs program is because local government matters. Um, it really does. I think that it's not always, uh, pardon the term, but as sexy as, you know, federal policy or what's going on in Congress or the presidential administration or even at the state level. Well, it's really um, sexy right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just all the talk, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're right here. I would say local city council is probably sexier than Medicaid, Medicare, <laughs> yeah. um, right? On the sexy meter. So. <laughs> Most things are. No offense to people in Medicare. Yeah. Medicare. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Most things are. <laughs> you didn't think we were going to get here today, did you? Yeah. Um, uh, no, no, it's, uh, yeah, it, it uh, really, at the end of the day, you know, this adage we'd like to use, I think, in, in government affairs and politics is if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And, and I think that's what it's about is, you know, making sure that um, we are part of those conversations around growth, around housing, making sure the need is met. Um, and so for us, you know, that investment, as you said, in those candidates in Councilor Livingston and Councilor Piper, um, is really a reflection of, you know, our support, wanting to see them continue, you know, the good work they've done on the council, whether that's, um, um, being really instrumental in setting aggressive housing goals. So the city, you know, as you know, established their road to 3000, as they call it, which is um, trying to put 3000 units on the ground by 2021. Um, that, you know, infrastructure projects and transportation that's been critical to servicing housing. Um, I think also just really bringing some creative and needed ideas to uh, the city in terms of building codes, you know, looking at where are opportunities in the code for us to provide more flexibility um, to builders so that they can provide different types of products at more affordable price points. Um, and just really being out front, I think, fighting fee increases and uh, trying to keep the cost of housing down in development as we move forward. What are some examples of legislation at the state level um, that CORE supports to make housing more affordable and accessible? Yeah, yeah. So uh, our, our jurisdiction or you know, our region, I guess, if you will, is Deschutes County, Jefferson and Crook. And so our members, we have uh, about 2,500 members throughout the region. And, uh, but we do also work with the Oregon Association of Realtors that takes lead on um, state legislation and support you know, bills especially that are impactful for Central Oregon. So a couple, uh, I think uh, primarily one House Bill 2001 is a piece of legislation that got a lot of attention. Um, and I think it really was modeled on what Ben did and uh, looking at you know, how do we provide these different uh, types of housing, more diversity of housing stock, um, changes to the RS code to allow for duplexes and triplexes. Um, that's been you know, a big piece of legislation. We were supportive of those changes at the city level. Uh, House Bill 4079, we were very supportive of, which was, as you know, the pilot project for the city of Bend uh, to be able to provide affordable housing. And um, a companion bill, a version that uh, really extended that same opportunity to the city of Redmond. And uh, Representative Zika right now is working on uh, really trying to come up with a concept that would remove kind of the pilot component of that and offer that to more cities so it's not as limited, um, something we're very supportive of as well. Um, 
in terms of housing uh, in the more rural setting, you know, outside of Bend, uh, there's a legislative concept that has been introduced in the last couple of sessions uh, around rural ADUs, something that we think would be a really great option. ADUs, I think, again, Bend, the city of Bend has been a leader uh, in providing those, uh, finding that they're a very affordable option for the community, something that you know, can be rented out or used for family members who might not be able to um, afford housing otherwise here. Uh, I think being able to extend that with some side boards in the rural county to be able to provide more housing uh, would be a really great concept. So the city council is considering an additional tax levy of one-third of one percent for commercial and industrial construction in Bend to raise money for affordable housing and homeless services. Um, this would not affect residential, new residential building. Um, where do you weigh in on this new law and were you a part of helping to shape it? Yeah, so in, in our, we're actually, we just had some conversations this week on our government affairs committee and our commercial committees looking at it as well. So we're reviewing those proposals to see uh, where we'll fall. But um, I can tell you initially, you know, just first of all, right off the bat, um, homelessness is, is obviously a significant issue in our community. And um, it's, it's not obviously an easy issue to address. Uh, there's fortunately a lot of great organizations like the Homeless Leadership Coalition who are working uh, hard to provide services, um, but you know it requires, you know, they can't do it alone. Um, I think it's it's a community-wide effort. And so uh, I think my, my initial feedback is that um, it's a, you know, it, it's an issue that impacts our entire community and something that everyone has a stake in helping to address. And I think that um, we have seen proposals like this in the past. Um, I'm not clear on, on why it should be borne solely on the backs of commercial development. Um, and so I think some of our you know, feedback moving forward, as you mentioned, you know, the one proposal that seems to have the most support on council is a supplemental one third of one percent on the existing fee. Um, so, you know, whether it's, you know, looking at sort of, a, you know, another proposal or different type of fee uh, or whether that can be spread out more evenly, um, I think that's something we really need to take a hard look at. A concern that I think uh, we would also have is what kind of impact does that have on uh, some projects that are currently slated for Bend? I'm thinking particularly of, um, you know, the core area or uh, the, you know, the tax increment finance plan that was put in place uh, and looking at what the vision is kind of for the central district and uh, mixed use affordable housing opportunities there. Um, do those fees, you know, serve to hamper that type of development moving forward? So uh, I think that, but really the bottom line is I think there needs to be a process for input, both from, you know, the community and from, you know, developers who will be impacted, but especially from those groups who are already working with the homeless population to make sure that those services are you know, located in a place that is really helpful for that, for that population, um, that we're looking at a program that is going to best serve their needs. Um, it, it would appear that just on first blush and looking at this with the changing um, nature of the economy due to the pandemic, that putting a tax solely on commercial industrial as opposed to spreading that over to residential, which is just on fire, um, would make a little more sense. I'm wondering if that's something that you guys would think about revisiting or if that you've heard any discussion of that. Yeah, I, I think that I think there's probably a number of different proposals um, that the city could look at, and it's certainly something that we would consider. Uh, but I think, you know, I think your point is well taken that um, there's, I think there has to be a way to, you know, more evenly spread out that cost and get input from the community versus focusing solely on one, you know, one sector. Uh, 
we all have a stake in it for sure. I mean, this is this kind of concept moves on the backs of what we're seeing a lot where government services are, are being asked to ramp up more to provide for social services. And um, it certainly looks that way when you see the way that uh, voters opened up their wallets for the library, for roads, and it appears that they're willing to do more in this area, moving funds around the police department. It feels like we're on the cusp of a, of a serious kind of change in these in these environments. Are you feeling that? And how do you think that discussion is going to go when they start coming to your organization and saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to put more fees on this, that, but the payoff is over here in social services? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think it really comes down to, um, yeah, those, those, so we're not, you know, I would not say we're wholesale opposed to fees. You know, I think a good example is, um, as you mentioned, Aaron, the transportation bond. Sure. Um, we were a big supporter of the transportation bond and felt that, you know, while it does, you know, that is a, a property assessment, but we see, you know, the value to the community. Um, and that particular package we felt was really well balanced. I mean, it went through a thorough process of community input um, from, I think, a number of different interests, folks who were looking um, to, you know, congestion uh, and looking, you know, for more, you, know, you might say, vehicle-based solutions, as well as, you know, pedestrian infrastructure and, you know, walkable, bikeable routes, um, right. really struck a good balance. And so um, I think that, yeah, fees, fees ha- certainly have their place um, if they are, you know, well-reasoned and if they're going to be, you know, providing the services that they are stated to provide. Um, I think it's just, it's just putting together sound policy again, back to that um, robust public process to get a number of voices involved. I'm curious about inclusionary zoning. Can you explain what it is and what your position is on it? Yeah, so uh, inclusionary zoning is is basically a policy um, that by definition requires um, a given percentage of new development uh, is really allotted for affordable housing. Um, and so our position historically has been that we are we're obviously, you know, strong advocates for affordable housing. Um, we're very supportive of incentives. Uh, however, when it comes to, you know, involuntary uh, methods like inclusionary zoning, we have some concerns. And I think those uh, really stem from uh, whenever you put a plan like inclusionary zoning in place, you know, you sometimes have the opposite of the desired effect, which is you may create a steeper entrance to market for middle market housing um, or, you know, kind of non-subsidized products um, as a result. And that's obviously a significant need uh, here within the community, too, is that, you know, middle market when we're looking at AMI. And so I think that uh, there are incentives that can be provided that will still allow those types of products projects to occur and have, I think, very successfully in Bend. Um, so incentives is, is uh, you know, where we always fall when we're looking at those types of projects. Tyler, when you think about the future of the real estate market, and I know I'm bringing out the crystal ball right now and we're kind of <laughs> rubbing it around, but yeah. it seems like there is really a sustained I mean, it's, from the people I talk to, it seems like this is not a bubble, that it is a more sustained, understandable rise in a desire to be in Bend. And that that is kind of the nature of a Zoom town is really what we're doing is moving people from these larger urban areas to our town. And <clears throat> I'm just wondering, and, and I once posed this question to, to the chamber uh, a while ago, but how do you know when it's too much, when you're starting to outstrip your infrastructure and 
you know, we know right now we're scrambling to find housing and expanding the UGB, but even, I mean, let's be honest, that's an extremely tedious and, and, and long process. What happens? Like what, what, what happens to in the real estate market, which would be your speciality, but then how do you get the infrastructure, these people they need? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and, and I think that has to be a part of the conversation as well. You know, when we are talking about growth is we have to be able to service those areas. If we're bringing in, you know, if we're expanding and we're bringing in new land uh, into the UGB, we have to be able to service it. And uh, it's not not easy to do in Central Oregon. You know, as you know, we're on a lot of rock and um, there's been issues. If you think back to like the, you know, the septic to, uh, to sewer conversion issue that came up in the city, uh, there was significant costs there. And in order to provide those services. So that, I think that really has to be part of um, the forward-looking vision for uh, the incoming council. And I look forward to working with them and um, you know, establishing those relationships and being able to hear you know, what their vision and plans are for housing. Um, but yeah, I think infrastructure has to, has to be a part of that conversation as well. Um, in terms of you know, what the market looks like moving forward again, I would love to, you know, I would love to have that crystal ball too. Oh, but, here it is. We're yeah, yeah, doing right. it right now. <laughs> It feels like it's not going to stop. It just does. I mean, I know that's me getting in that yeah. crystal ball thing, but I, I just don't, I just don't see us becoming less attractive over the course of the next couple of years. And, um, and I, and I do think it's a concern. I think, you know, we know, I mean, you can't, there's people talk about putting the brakes on tourism. They talk about trying to put the brakes on, on this kind of growth. And, and I just don't know if that's possible. I don't know how you do it unless you start putting billboards up that say we're a hideous, horrible town. And, and I don't see that happening. Yeah, no, un unfortunately, I think uh, the only kind of strategies to curb demand are going to make the things that, you know, we love about Ben not, <laughs> sure. not enjoyable anymore, right? So, uh, but I do think, you know, something you touched on earlier is that, you know, this idea of Zoomtown, I think that, and I'm certainly not an economist, but I think that our economy has, you know, diversified uh, pretty significantly since, you know, the last Great Recession. And I think, um, you know, from economists I've listened to and, and, you know, data we have and things we look at in terms of trends, um, we are much better positioned, I think, to kind of weather those types of storms moving forward. Uh, I think we see that, you know, from from my involvement with Edco and the good work they do, um, the, the types of businesses that are coming to Bend and the types of businesses that are growing in Bend, um, we really do have, uh, whether it's, you know, high tech or in healthcare, um, we really have a lot of pretty innovative, neat companies who are doing things yeah. here, um, setting up shop in the region. Let, let me ask you one more thing before we, we let you go. Um, you know, Laurel and I had been talking about Redmond and, and it, it's a, I, I believe it's, it's a nonstop conversation that folks have about, you know, the hub and the way it's growing and developing. And, you know, my hat's off to that community for the way they've been developing, the way they've been allocating open space and, and their zoning and their restoration of their downtown and, and, and especially their public art to keep going. But I, I just wonder at what point, or if you're feeling this where, you know, it used to be the Redmond was kind of, you know, the, the little sister or brother off, off to the North. And, and it just feels like they might be coming uh, as desirable as, as Bend at this point, and especially for people who are zooming about. What are your thoughts about that? <laughs> 
we were calling them the, the, what was it, Laurel? The, the kid at the back of the classroom, the smart kid at the back of the classroom. Yeah. And Ben's always been up front. And now, you know, they, they just seem like they're getting to be the cool kid. So, yeah, no, I, I, I think Redmond's a very cool kid for sure. Um, yeah, there's some really neat things happening there for sure. And, and I think they've, um, you know, and, and I can talk about some other cities in the region as well who are doing neat things. But yeah, as you said, you know, whether it's revitalization downtown, they've been looking at their comp plan. They just finished that process through 2040 uh, and, and really looking to, I think, position Redmond as, you know, this city that is you know, the hub, as they've said. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. I think some things that they've done um, that have helped them kind of get to that position. You know, one, for instance, is their process um, and their approach to growth and looking at like an urban reserve area and, and having that land ready to go so that they could easily expand. Um, and I think it, it, it has been a much quicker process for Redmond than Bend. Um, now, granted, it is, you know, it's a different animal. Not all things are the same in terms of uh, what they have to go through and, and, you know, different considerations and factors in that process. But yeah, definitely, definitely uh, some neat stuff going on in Redmond. Madras as well. You know, we have members in Madras who uh, they just passed um, a package of SDC reductions, which we're always a big fan of. Um, and everything from multifamily to single family uh, to really incentivize builders, they basically found that uh, building had kind of stalled and had for quite a few years. So they provided those incentives. They also um, took an innovative approach to uh, urban renewal and establishing a housing urban renewal district uh, downtown and kind of in the heart of the city, which has been really effective in putting some units on the ground too. So yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not really ready to give Madras a cool kid designation. I, I, <laughs> I I know they're they're getting a little more rowdy up there, but uh, <laughs> Redmond's chewing gum and and looking sideways at the teacher right now. I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to remember uh, those. Those are good. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Tyler, anything you'd like to say in in parting before we end our uh, our podcast? No, I I just appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on, and uh, look forward to chatting moving forward. As exciting things are happening in the region, that's for sure. Hey, Tyler, yeah. thank you. This, this has been the Ben Don't Break podcast with uh, myself, Aaron Schweitzer, and Laurel Bronze. Keep listening, and thank you very much.